0: The Gospel, A Basic Truth, is sponsored by One Jump Ahead, a nonprofit sport ministry with a focus on strengthening families on our journey together. They provide a family-oriented sport with Christ-centered values and a unique look into how jump rope goes hand-in-hand with the gospel and our daily walk with Christ. Check them out. Go to onejumpahead.org. That's onejumpahead.org. Greetings, Today we're going to look at the Gospel in First Peter, chapter 1. This is the testimony of the Apostle Peter as to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you will turn with me to 1 Peter 1, 3-5, uh, let me read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me say some thoughts here. Peter starts out by praising God the Father, because he is the one who has caused us to be born again into what he calls a living hope. He d- describes that as an inheritance, an inheritance that cannot perish, cannot be defiled, and will never fade away. And importantly, it's not up to you to keep it, because this living hope that you were born again to, this inheritance, is cut for you in heaven by God the Father. He is the one that guards it. Our only role is to have faith in this salvation, which is going to be revealed at the last time. The other important thing I point out to you is Peter says, this comes to us, this gospel, this salvation, because of God's great mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We are sinners, we deserve punishment, separation from God, and death. But we're not going to get that. Instead, we're going to get this this inheritance, this this born-again salvation. So, Peter is emphasizing God in his mercy is not giving us what we deserve, rather he is giving us what we don't deserve, and of course that is grace. And that is going to be a real key in our time together today. You know, in Christian circles, when we say the name of the Apostle Peter, you know, many of us kind of get a little smile on our face. Why is that? Probably because we read in Scripture that Peter was impetuous, he was quick to speak, slow to listen, and... Honestly, he made some major, major stumbles. And people will excuse Peter and say, well, he was an ignorant fisherman. Friends, that is not true. Yes, Peter was a fisherman, but he was not ignorant. Peter was actually a very educated man. Now you say, how is that? If you think about literacy, with the exception of maybe the last 400 years in the modern era, Throughout all of antiquity, what was the most educated, literate nation in all of human history? It is always the Jews. Why is that? Because every Jewish male, in order to participate in the religious uh, activities, either in synagogue or at the temple, they had to have been taught in Torah, the law of Moses. They had to be taught in the prophets— they had to learn wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. They had to learn poetry and, 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 and praise music, and we call that the Psalms. And because there wasn't a printing press in those days, a lot of what they learned, they had to commit to memory. Now, today there's actually a, a celebration for a, 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 a teenager when they have a, put their arms around all of this, and we call that bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. They didn't have those names back then, but certainly someone would have to be well-educated before they could participate. Oh, and by the way, they had to learn all this in Hebrew. Um, Peter was not just a fisherman. He was a small businessman. He owned his own boat. He, when he fished, fishing was only part of his, of his work. Not only did he have to catch the fish, he had to sell the fish. All right, where do you go? Where did the other fishermen that came back early, did they go to that village, this village? Should I go across the lake? A lot of decisions needed to be made besides just catching the fish. The last thing he wanted to do was to go home early in the morning, because they fished all night, and say to his wife, hey, Mrs. Pete, I got 40 pounds of dead fish. Can you put it in the freezer? Being a small businessman, how how many languages did Peter speak? well, how many do you and I speak? One, maybe two, maybe English and Spanish, maybe English and French. Peter had to speak Hebrew because he had to learn Torah. He had to participate in the temple. He had to know Hebrew. But that's not what they spoke at home. When he and Mrs. Pete had breakfast in the morning, they spoke in Aramaic. Aramaic, thank f- that, uh, that came from uh, the prior Persian Empire. However, Peter lived in a, the town of Bethesda, and it was on the north-south trade corridor between Jerusalem and the countries to the north in the Mediterranean. A lot of uh, commerce went back and forth. Uh, Peter sold fish, certainly, to uh, Gentile villages along, around the Sea of Galilee. And what did the Gentiles speak? They spoke Greek, common Greek, or as we say, Koinea Greek. And we have Alexander the Great, 300 years before this time, and his four generals that came after him for making the whole world learn, well, the Mediterranean, learn Greek ways and to speak Greek. In fact, it's a kind of a trick question I'll ask people sometimes. What was the language in the marketplace during the time of the Roman Empire? People will say Latin. That's not the case. In fact, it was Koine Greek. But Peter also had to know Latin. Because Latin was the language of government, whether you had to deal with the governor, the courts, the soldiers, they would have spoken in Latin. So at the very least, Peter spoke four languages. Peter was an excellent speaker. You can find this in the early part of Acts, his sermon, the day of Pentecost. Oh my gosh, it's an incredible sermon. But we have other sermons of Peter And those are in the Gospel of Mark because the Gospel of Mark was designed by putting together the various sermons that Peter gave when he was in Rome. By the way, Peter wrote two letters, this one that we just quoted from. Now, he dictated it, but some secretary named Sylvanus actually wrote it down into Greek. And yet Peter's second letter is written also in Greek, but it's written in crude Greek, perhaps very poor, simple Greek. And historically, we are we're told it was Peter himself who wrote this while he was in prison, um, uh, awaiting his, his martyrdom. In many ways, the story of Peter is the story of threes. So, Peter, I'm going to suggest to you, was the oldest disciple. I believe he was about 35. I'm going to compare Peter now to John. John, we know, we talked about him last time, was probably 19. Um, I think the conversation with Jesus, and I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, went something like this. Hey, John, you want to follow me? Please follow me because I'm going to to send you to all the nations of the world, and and you're going to see miracles, and people get healed, and people are going to throw things at you and be angry at you and and stone you, and you could very well be martyred. And a 19-year-old goes, I'm in you know, all excited. Not Peter. He did not want to come. He did not want to be a disciple. In fact, Jesus calls him three times. The first time, and we see this in John, the first chapter of John, one of the uh, disciples of John the Baptist was his brother Andrew. Andrew takes his older brother Simon, Simon Peter, to Jesus. And yet we know from the narrative, Peter goes back fishing, The second time Peter is called by Jesus, we see in Mark and in Matthew, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and the fishermen have come home from fishing that night. They got the boats up, they're drying the nets, and Jesus says to Peter and a couple others, follow me, and they drop everything and they follow Jesus. But then Peter goes back fishing. Finally, the third time, we read about this in Luke Once again, we're at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee, but this time there is a huge crowd of people around him, and he wants to speak to them. Once again, it's early in the morning, and so Jesus sees Peter and his boat, and he says to Peter, I want you to take me out into the lake so that I from the lake I can speak to the people and everybody can hear me. Peter does that. When Jesus is done with his sermon, he dismisses the people, he tells Peter, Row out into the deep water and throw down your net. What happens next, I'm going to paraphrase again just a little. Peter's like, "Um, Lord, uh, I I know you were a carpenter, but, like, I'm a fisherman, okay? So I know that you can't catch fish during the day. And we didn't even catch fish last night, so I know there isn't going to be any fish out there today. And Jesus says, just trust me. So Peter says, okay, rows out, throws down the net, And Peter gets more fish than he has seen in his life. He has so many fish, he can't get the fish into the boat. In fact, the boat's starting to take water. Other fishermen come out to help him. Now, at this point, Peter gets an aha. (gasps) This is a miracle. Jesus did this miracle for me. Jesus is calling me again. And Peter turns his head and just says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I mean, he, he's trying to turn Jesus down for the third time. Why? He's a middle-aged man, and all he knows is fishing and selling fish. And, and he perceives that following Jesus requires a whole lot more than he's got. And, and he's like, I'm not up for this. I can't do this. And then what Jesus does next is just masterful. Knowing what Peter is thinking and saying, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter just gives up, throws in the towel. (sighs) Okay, Lord, I I guess you got this all figured. And so then he follows Jesus. Now, the important thing for us in this, Jesus pursued Peter. Is Jesus pursuing you? Do you or one of your loved ones, have they heard the gospel several times and, and said no? Jesus is pursuing you. I don't want us to be too hard on Peter. It's one thing for a 19-year-old to go, yeah, I want adventure. I believe that Peter was the oldest, and I believe he was 35, because we know that our Lord Jesus had to have been at least 30, okay? And that's because of reasons in the Old Testament about when you serve. I believe that Peter was the oldest, because he was the spokesman for the other disciples. Now, they didn't elect him foreman. Jesus didn't at the beginning say, you're going to speak for him. Peter just naturally took that role. And I believe that shows that he was the oldest because in that culture, the older man is always the one who was expected to lead. All right? I'm going to go off here on a one slight rabbit trail to make a point. I was in a seminary a long time ago, and I had a class in leadership and governance of the church. As a class exercise, the professor divided us into three groups. One group was made up of people uh, from Korea. They were uh, either immigrants or first-generation Korean-Americans. Uh, and then the, the other two groups were essentially Americans who'd been here you know, a long time. And so the Korean group were supposed to talk amongst ourselves and come up with a leader. And the Korean group took four minutes. And who'd they come up with? Of course, the oldest man. My group came up with this young, tall, good-looking guy with a deep voice and a twinkle in his eye. The other group picked this extremely beautiful, chatty young woman. I mean, are we Americans or what? You know, it's always Hollywood. We're not picking people who are qualified for leadership. We just pick people who look good and sound good. I, I say that to make the point that I believe that Peter was the oldest, so... He was probably 35. By the way, there is a point, we'll mention it a little bit later, but Peter actually rebukes Jesus. And I think he felt he could do that because I think because he was older, older than Jesus, he could get away with it. It didn't work for him, no. Now, um, Peter is a man of contrast. He could speak for God, God the Father, and then within minutes he could speak for Satan. So Jesus takes his disciples aside towards the end of his ministry, and he says, who do people say that I am? He follows it up with, and who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, takes a laboring oar, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't say that on your own. God the Father gave you those words. And on this bedrock of his confession, I'm going to build my church, And I'm going to commemorate this today and give you the name Little Pebble, which is Peter, all right? So so Peter is speaking the words that God the Father gave him. The very next section of Scripture, so we're talking, what, in an hour? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I will be crucified, killed, buried, and three days later, I'll raise from the dead. And Peter is like, no, you're not. And he takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. And what is Jesus' response to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Okay? One minute he speaks for God, the next minute he speaks for Satan. Man of contrast. Peter could be both very, very brave and a coward. Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus is going to be arrested. The soldiers uh, come they're going to arrest Jesus. And, and Peter is filled with passion and he takes out his dagger and he's going to defend Jesus to the death, you know? And he cuts off the ear of uh, the servant of the high priest, uh, a man named Malchus. Jesus, even though he's been uh, being arrested, is telling Peter, Peter, I told you about this. Put, put it away. Put, put, put the dagger away. And he even heals the ear of Malchus. So, great bravery, willing to die for Jesus. Yet within a few hours, Peter will be in the Courtyard of the high priest, and this young servant girl comes up to him and goes, you, you were with him. You know him. And and Peter gets afraid, afraid of this young girl. And he says, no, I don't know. And she comes back a little later, and she says, look, your your Galilean accent gives you away. You're one of them. And Peter gets just very emotional, denying that he knows Jesus. And then a third time, this man... (laughs) shows up and says, you, you are one of them. Only this time, Peter's denial is much, much stronger. He calls down an oath from heaven, swearing by this oath that he doesn't know Jesus. Now, now, you think after the first or second time, Peter would have said, oh, yeah, Jesus reminded me of this, and you think Peter would have got out of there, but he doesn't. And, of course, the rooster crows, and then Peter flees. He's terrified. What's the worst that could have happened to him that night? Eh, he might have got beat up. The Lord Jesus appears in his resurrected form to Peter. It's early in the morning. They're on the seashore. They're going to cook some fish for breakfast. Jesus says to Peter, or asks Peter, three times. Notice the three. Do you truly love me? Second time he says, do you truly love me? The third time he says, do you love me? And each time Peter says, you know I love you. And each time, he gets more and more passionate about his love for Jesus. Like, Jesus, you can read my mind. You know I love you. Again, reversing, undoing the courtyard of the high priest. And so he is restored to leadership. Now, in the post-resurrection, Peter does some incredible things in leadership, Day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit indwells the the believers, and they begin to speak in other known languages, giving the gospel to the many pilgrims from all over the world that had come to the Feast of Pentecost. Peter gets up and gives this incredible sermon, and, and you should read that. Very, very soon in the early days of the church, uh, Peter and John um, become, are, are clearly leaders. And a couple of times they're arrested and brought before the council, the Sanhedrin, and they're admonished and told not to preach Jesus. And it's Peter who speaks up and says, You know, you're leaders and we'll do what you tell us, but you can't contradict what God says. And so we will have to continue. And they're threatened. And the second time, and Peter still says, and we're still going to preach the gospel. And, and, of course, they're beat up. But, again, showing this great bravery. Peter, during the early, early church, is doing miracles and healing people. We read about that in Acts. As one of the leaders, God the Father uses Peter to be a witness to the expanding nature of the gospel. Peter is is directed to go to Samaria. Now, Samaria was land between Jerusalem in the south and Galilee in the north, and it was inhabited by half-Jews, all right? Uh, They didn't get along with the Jews, but these are the half-Jews. And Peter goes there, and he, he witnesses how the Samaritans hear the gospel and then speak in known language, just like they did at the day of Pentecost, and so... Peter can witness to the rest of the church and the leadership, yes, God has shown to me, I'm witnessing, that God has taken now the Samaritans, uh, they can be saved also. And then the second time God calls Peter to this work, there is a... um, There's a Gentile. He's a centurion named Cornelius. He's up in Joppa, which is up near Tel Aviv today. And he hears about Jesus, or about Peter, or what Jesus did, and understands that that Peter is one of the leaders. So he sends servants and a soldier to go get Peter because he wants to hear this gospel message. Well, while that's happening, Peter is visiting a friend. He goes for a nap. During the nap, he has a vision. God the Father shows him all of these unclean animals, think not kosher, things that a Jew cannot eat. And the voice from heaven says, take, eat. And Peter says, no, I'm a good Jewish guy. I can't do this. And God says, what God makes clean, don't say is unclean. And he gets the vision three times. All right? So now Peter knows this for real. He wakes up, there's a knock at the door, and it's the folks from Cornelius, so he knows he's supposed to go with him. I have no idea what Peter was thinking. But, you know, God directs you, so you go. So he goes there, he gives the gospel message, and to his utter amazement, not only do they accept Jesus, but they speak in tongues. And so now he can witness to the leadership, yes, God has chosen to include them. I didn't include them. God did, I was there as a witness. A few years later, as many, many Gentile believers are coming into the church, there was a question that the the, the Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem were dealing with. Do Gentiles have to become Jews? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to eat kosher? And you can read about this in uh, in Acts chapter 15. And so the council of all the leaders considered this, and, and Peter gave his testimony about what happened with Cornelius. And the church leadership said, it's clear Gentiles don't have to become Jews, they don't have to become circumcised. By the way, the person who was clearly the leader in Jerusalem at time was James, the half-brother of Jesus. And now we fast forward several years. There's persecution has come to the Christians in, in Israel, especially in Jerusalem, and they start to, to filter out as, as they, they're going to take the gospel message in the Great Commission. Peter finds himself in Antioch. It's in southern Turkey, uh, obviously Greek-speaking uh, city. There's a church that has already been established there for quite some time. So, so Peter's hanging out with all the Gentile Christians, and everything's good. But then some Jewish believers from Jerusalem show up. There's still some there. And they're telling the Gentiles, you know, you've got to get circumcised. You've got to eat kosher because, yeah, you're saved, but it really doesn't count unless you do all the Jewish things. And what is Peter to? Now, he was there at Acts 15, and it was his testimony that, that swung everybody to allow the Gentiles in without circumcision. But now he's afraid. And he agrees with the Jewish Christians, and he withdraws from the Gentile believers. What a terrible thing in leadership. It's a good thing there wasn't social media then. Now, we know this happened because the Apostle Paul was there. Antioch had been the original sending out church for Paul. So, Paul was back visiting one of the churches that supported him early on in his career, and he saw all this. And he writes a letter uh, to the Galatians about a different issue, and he mentions this, and he says, and I rebuked Peter to his face. Peter, back before Jesus, you weren't even a good Jew, and now you want Gentiles to be Jews. And so, you know, a very severe rebuke. But of course, Peter is Peter's restored. At some point, he makes his way at the end of his life to Rome, and and he preaches quite a bit in Rome, and at the end of his life, he has one more opportunity to deny Jesus. There's persecution. If he denies Jesus, he can live. Well, on that day, he did not deny Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and Peter was crucified, and he was crucified upside down. Let me go back to the verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. You know, Peter was a man who received mercy upon mercy upon mercy. He messed up, he stumbled, and he stumbled badly, but each time he received mercy and he was restored, and this is his legacy. He took on this man named Mark. His first letter, First Peter, he talks at the end of his letter, and he says, Silvanus is my secretary, and he's writing this letter, and, and my son Mark is with me here. Who is Mark? John Mark was a young teenager, very young, and he actually would have seen Jesus. He would have seen the miracles. We know that on the night of the Last Supper, not sure where John Mark was, but after the disciples left the upper room, they walked over to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we know that they were followed by some young boy. And we know because when Jesus is arrested, the soldiers do kind of an area search, and they, they discover this young boy who's obviously watching. And so they try to grab him, and all he's wearing is kind of a robe, and, and, and they pull the rope off. And the, the funny thing about the story is the young boy runs away naked. We know that that young boy's mother, that it's in her house where much of the early church met around the time of the resurrection, okay? This is John Mark. And so he would have been, as a child, an eyewitness to much of this. So he was a natural person when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were going to take somebody with them on their first missionary trip, and they took John Mark. Reasonable thing to do. Well, that missionary journey was successful in that many people were saved and churches were planted, but they were, they were persecuted. They had rocks thrown at them. They were beaten up. I mean, terrible things happened to that first mission group that Peter, excuse me, that, um, that Paul and Barnabas were on. And at some point during the journey, John Mark said, out of here. I didn't sign up for this. And, and he leaves them, and he goes back to Jerusalem. And that becomes a point of... The, of great controversy between Barnabas and Paul, and they split up. Paul was not a guy that took kindly to failure in the gospel, and so he'd have nothing to do with John Mark. Now, we know from the writings of Paul, his later writings, some 20 years later, that he is reconciled with John Mark. So somehow there was some reconciliation. And um, he he writes, you know about John Mark, and he's okay now, and you should take him in. That's, That's what he informs his readers. But Paul doesn't take John Mark onto his ministry team. Who does? Peter. Now, I'm sure that John Mark, as a young fella, would have known Peter. John Mark ends up in Rome, and Peter says, I'll take you on. And so John Mark becomes a protege to Peter, and he is with Peter for several years before his death, the church in Rome realized that Peter was an old man and they wanted to get his testimony of the gospel down. And so they assigned John Mark to write it. Now, John Mark did not interview Peter. He just took all the sermon material that he heard and from that he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Friends, God the Father extended us grace and mercy God the Father extended mercy over and over and over to Peter. And Peter, in return, extends grace to John Mark. And we have that Gospel of Mark today. It's a legacy from Peter who received mercy. There's one more verse I would call to your attention. In It's a little bit shorter. Uh, it's probably a better memory verse than the, than the first one, but let me read it to you. It's 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Friends, let me pray over us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us, not giving us what we deserve. We thank you for the grace giving us what we don't deserve, this eternal hope, this imperishable inheritance that you hold, that you keep. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.